Hello and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This third series of Surroundscapes is focused on the future of events. This sector of the market has been the most hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're talking to a number of people uh, who have experience of doing events to get their thoughts about how the industry will come back after all of this. In this episode, I'm actually bringing back someone that was in the first series of Surroundscapes on the future of hospitality and retail, and that's James Patton from Patton Studios. James is talking to us from New York. So hi, James. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming back. So James has had a lot of experience in events of all sorts, um, from Super Bowl halftime shows to CES uh, exhibition booths, fashion shows, um, all sorts of interactive events. And when we did the first series, James mentioned that he'd, he'd be really interested in, in recording another one of these about the future of events. And that actually was the beginning of me thinking that we'd do this third series on the future of events. So I'd like to start by asking you, James, to just give us some details of some of the events that you've done um, over the time that Patent Studios has been around. Thanks. Yeah, as a, I guess the, the largest one would be the uh, Super Bowl 2014 halftime show, which we worked on with PixMob. Um, essentially, what happened there was there was a, a special hat underneath every seat, uh, every audience member's seat. And at halftime, everyone in the audience put this hat on, and the, the hat had an LED and a receiver uh, on in the front. And um, by putting the hat on, this made it possible to turn the whole audience into a, a huge video screen. Um, and this same technology was, was actually used at the uh, Sochi Winter Olympics that same year. So, um, you know, that was uh, definitely the, the biggest one in terms of scale. In, in terms of other sorts of events, you mentioned the Consumer Electronics Show. Um, for a couple of years, we've done, we did the, uh, the booths, uh, well, the interactive experiences uh, at Intel's booth. Um, so Intel has a lot of uh, incredible technology and, you know, they want to show in a trade show context what that technology is capable of in an immersive way. Um, so we built a, a series of um, interactive experiences for their booths that uh, showcase unexpected and, and playful uses of their technology that can really give people a visceral sense of, of what those technologies are capable of. So for example, there are depth cameras that can see the world in three dimensions. Um, so we can, you know, as well as the incredible processing power of their CPUs, um, you know, can create these immersive uh, visual um, scenes that you can come in and, and, and play around with just by moving your body in front of a, a large set of screens. 
Um, let's see. So for uh, Rag and Bone, uh, we worked on one of their fashion shows together with TEM Studio. Um, so we built a series of kinetic video projectors that spin around uh, under computer control. And so um, as, uh, as the models are rock walking up and down the runway, these, these projectors are spinning like crazy, uh, throwing images on projection screens that are all around the space. And the, the computers driving the projection know where the projectors are pointed in space. So you can get this kind of these uh, spatialized uh, persistence of vision effects um, so, you know, it's, uh, the work is all pretty experimental and involves new, new, uh, sorts of uses of technology. Um, but really what we're trying to do is, uh, create, uh, really just memorable moments for, for people, uh, who attend these events to say, wow, you know, I've, I've never experienced something like that before. And, uh, you know, another thing that we're trying to do is, is start conversations, uh, if, if, you know, we create through these unexpected experiential moments um, opportunities for, for people to, to, you know, if we provide these conversation starters, then, um, you know, that's, that's even better. Certainly the, the events industry has, I think, been of the AV kind of industry in general, has been the hardest hit of all. I mean, the, the hospitality and retail sector, which is Blue Sound Professionals' main business, has been pretty hard hit, but all my friends in the events industry have pretty much got nothing to do. Right. Um, we're recording this in in January 2021, so we're we're sitting here hoping that this year is going to be better than than the last year. But um, as we start to come back from this pandemic, how do you think events are going to change, and what do you think is going to be the key? to to reactivate that part of the industry and that part of our lives in general and 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 create compelling events that will want pe- make people want to go go and see them right well i think that in the events industry just like in in many other industries what's been happening with the pandemic is that uh the pandemic is uh accelerating trends that were already there or or kind of um, maybe you could even starting some trends that, that were ripe to begin. One of the challenges with traditional events has, has always been the, the travel and the, just kind of the, the expense of the, of the whole thing. And, and I think that, um, you know, some people have uh, reacted to the, the, uh, the disruption of that industry um, this year by saying, well, you know, okay, we need to find ways to, 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 Fulfill the role that um, that events you know that they fulfill without having to have all of this travel. The reality is that you're never going to replace or come anywhere close, in my opinion, to replacing a a real live in-person event with meeting people on Zoom or something like that. It's just not the same experience. But what I think we will start to see is is some hybrid of the two, Um, and and there are a few different variants of what that could look like. So the first is what you might call satellite events. So the idea that, that there's, um, you know, a large scale event happening somewhere in the world, but that event has far fewer people attending than uh, might have attended in years past. 
But what happens instead is there are many smaller events all over the world where you can go and you can meet people that have a, a shared affinity for whatever that event is about. So you still get to network, but there's a very high quality experience there um, waiting for you at this satellite event that's, uh, that's connected um, you know, to the main event. So say, you know, at a minimum, uh, very high quality video feeds. Also, there's the opportunity for experiential things to happen at, at those satellite events um, as well. And so that is, you know, I think one of the, the, the simplest um, things that, that, you know, changes that we'll start to see because then people have to travel a lot less to, to get to the event, you know, and, and they still get to network, but the, the, the costs are much lower. Another thing is I think that there are going to be a variety of flavors of hybrid events. So uh, events that happen both in person and online at the same time. You know, when I say a variety, I think that the variety comes from the, the different approaches that can be taken to combine the, the uh, physical and uh, virtual attendees. Well, one example is, you know, just in the, the, the context of networking, say, so um, the conference C2, which uh, you and I have both been to, uh, one of the things that I, I thought was really interesting about this conference was the, uh, the brain dates, right? So what this is, is um, you, you sign up on a website, uh, you know, with your interests and you get connected with, with people who uh, you would like to meet or would like to meet you. And um, there's a, a desk that kind of facilitates the process of, of meeting up with this person uh, who you've never seen before and, and having a 20-minute conversation with them. And that works really well. You know, it would be fairly straightforward to extend that concept to include virtual attendees. If you have a physical, you know, an in-person attendee meeting an in-person attendee, then it just works as normal. But but if you have an in-person attendee meeting a virtual attendee, then you're taking to uh, taken to a, a video conferencing station, and they've already got all the kind of inevitable technical glitches worked out. So you, the person's just there, and you can just walk right up and talk to them, and you know of course, providing a similar service for virtual attendees. I, you know, there's, there's that uh, kind of notion of, of hybridness. As well, I think uh, another area that's really interesting is bringing some physical, uh, some tangible aspect of an in-person event to people who can't be there in person. So for this, imagine the context of a, an event um, that's a product launch, unveiling of the, a new amazing product. Um, and you're going to have some people from, let's say, all around the world coming to this event in, in person. But you'll also have, um, say, social media influencers and a, a variety of other people who, who won't be able to attend in person but, but still want to be engaged. And you could ship them a special box. This box has, uh, you know, what can be inside this box really varies uh, depending on the type of event that is happening. Let's say you're unveiling a new fragrance and then at the right moment when the fragrance is actually unveiled, your box lights up and it opens and there's your personalized copy of the, the product that's just been in, unveiled. And, you know, there are many different kinds of directions that this kind of could take, right? Um, ranging from the very simple where uh, you're, 
you know, one of the first to see a new movie and you, you stream it from home and somebody shows up with popcorn at your house. So that's kind of like the one, one, one extreme all the way to uh, fancy, uh, fancy technology approaches to, to just bring some of the, um, some of the magic of being there in person into, you know, the, the home or, or, or wherever people are when they're, when they're not attending. And then taking that to the next level, I think what's really interesting is if you know, you're giving people who are not at an event a, a way to participate such that they see the impact of their participation on the actual in-person event. So the simplest version of this might be something like you can um, post a, a message through an app and then that message appears on a screen in the, the in-person event and ideally where you can see it. But that's just kind of the, the basic approach that can really be taken um, to a, a much richer level where you know you, you, you really feel like your actions have a, an impact on the, the real event. So imagine you're at home and you're watching a sports game and uh, you want to, you know, there's a way for you to cheer uh, for for the team, and there, you know, your, you know, somehow your cheer. Well, I mean, it's not magic. You just need a microphone, right? Where your cheer is actually uh, broadcast in the in the stadium, or maybe a, a short video stream of you is is broadcast, um, and you know, this can be uh, taken in any number of directions kinetic sculptures that move based on uh, what people who are attending, you know, the event virtually do, and then they get to see, you know, the impact of their actions. You know, one thing that uh, we found that that's just really compelling in an event context is just giving people the sense that their actions um, have an impact that's much larger than themselves. We call it amplified action. And, you know, that that's an, an approach that I think would work really well in the, the context of these um, hybrid events well that's uh that's a lot <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've tons of questions and and kind of things to uh to pick up on uh, i think going back to your very first event suggestion which was the satellite event i've had some experience of that uh, you and i met james at, at ted and you're a ted fellow ted have a satellite event called ted active um, which is in a separate place to the main TED. And one year I went to TED Active at Palm Springs, I think it was that year. And it was exactly as you described. So there was the high quality feed from the from the main TED stage. There were some talks that were done just at TED Active. There was lots of social events. And they had things like the, the gift bags and things, the same as, as at the main event. And I think it, my personal experience of it was that it was satisfying to some level, but not nearly as good as going there. It felt like, because TED's a week-long event, it felt like watching the TV for, for a week. Have you any thoughts about how to, to reduce that sense of... We, we felt, to some extent, like second-class citizens. We were, we, were, we were there, we were sort of part of it, but we weren't totally part of it. Any thoughts about how to reduce that? And did you ever go to TED Active? Have you had that experience or not? I have uh, been to TED Active um, twice, I think. I, I understand what you're saying. I think that, you know, there are a few different dynamics at play there. One, which 
is probably true for a, a lot of events is that the main event in this case is, is more selective. It's something that you have to apply to go to. TED Active is, is still something you have to apply to, to go to, but my understanding is that it's a, a, a somewhat less selective process. And so some aspects of the feeling that you're talking about uh, relate to just kind of the overall design of the event in terms of communication. But in terms of experience, uh, one thing I would point out is that at TED Active, there are also uh, sometimes things that you can't see at the, at the main TED. So one year, a friend of mine, Andy Cavatorta, did an amazing um, kinetic sculpture at uh, at TED Active, you know that if if you went to TED, there's you know you never would have seen that. So I, I think that you can add more content in the um, in in the remote events, and and also it's it's I think just a question of of uh, how the overall you know what's kind of the the structure of these events. Is there there one main location and in one satellite as in TED Active, or are there many different satellites? And if there are many different satellites, are there things that you can do to connect those satellites to each other, uh, perhaps not just the main event? You know, we, we have, uh, when you think about what's done commonly with video conferencing versus what's possible, there's this huge space of unexplored options in terms of, you know, what can you do with a computer, cameras, and an internet connection, um, you know, to, to connect people in the space. And, and, you know, one obvious answer is the sort of video conferencing as we know it. Um, but there are lots of other things that you can do, you know, say where you're, you're doing interesting kinds of uh, visual processing, where maybe uh, just by having these cameras in different, um, you know, uh, event locations, you're all, uh, you know, contributing to this uh, continuously evolving visual artwork. Um, you know, that it's not just about sitting down and, and, and uh, talking one-on-one with someone in another location. There, there are um, many ways to, uh, to make that kind of interaction richer. And I feel like we're, we're really just scratching the surface of, of um, what's possible there. So uh, those are, you know, some of the, uh, some of, some of the, the answers. Um, and also there, are, I think, are a lot of yeah, I mean, I feel like you're saying that you lose something um, with an event like TED Active, but there are also other things that that you gain, you know, um, being a, away from the main event. Um, not necessarily in the specific case of TED Active, but but travel can be easier. Uh, or really, with TED Active, you know, you're in Palm Springs, which is a beautiful place to just kind of walk around and explore. There are a variety of ways that an event can be designed, I think, to not necessarily completely um, eliminate those concerns, but to address them to some degree. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I, I think, I mean, I, I was highlighting some of you know what I saw as the negatives the year I went, but there were certainly positives. Um, it was, you know, it's kind of unofficial name was Party 10 because it was typically a younger demographic Um because it was less expensive to go than the, the big TED. There was, you know, the, the big TED is more the people that have made it and TED Active were the people who were kind of on the rise. So it had a had a more, like a, a more happening kind of vibe about it, if you like. So there, there was plenty of positives as well. And, and I think going forward, 
kind of really profiling and playing to the demographic would really highlight that. I mean, in the case of Ted, if you've already made it, maybe you go to main Ted. If if you're on the rise, the place to go is is Ted Active, or and and they could play with that. And as you say, they could do more than one Ted Active, and they could could have different places around the world. And I think also to some extent, since I went, which is nearly a decade ago, probably the technology's got better. So the actual experience of of kind of simulcasting it is more immersive now than it used to be. I'm sure there can be more done. I certainly saw some of the potential shortfalls there of it being a poor relation to the in-person. And, and I think that has to be really carefully looked at in, in advance so that it doesn't come across that way. Absolutely. You mentioned on your second point, the hybrid one, uh, again, C2, the, the wonderful conference in Montreal and, and those brain dates that, that uh, are just one of the things that they do that make it a, a really different and, and deep and rich conference. I've also been to some of the like virtual conferences over the last nine months or so, and they have networking kind of parts to them where you can book five minutes of time with someone else. And I've always found that as an introvert to be quite difficult to kind of pitch myself into a conversation with someone that I don't know, that I've never met and I'm not in person with. So do do you have any thoughts about how people can make that easier? One thing I've heard is that, you know, one thing that happens at, at, uh, or used to happen in, um, in-person events, I, I, I imagine people have been doing this with uh, virtual events too, is, is the, the speed dating portion um, of an event where you go and, and you're expected to spend a certain number of minutes with, um, with, each, uh, with each person. And I was talking to someone on my team about this and I said, well, you know, uh, with, this, with these kinds of speed dating uh, things, you you meet so many people one right after the other that uh, if, if there's someone you, you really want to connect with, it, it might be challenging to kind of stand out from uh, the however many dozen other people they, they also just met. What my teammate said to me, and I think makes a lot of sense, is that, uh, well, in this case, you have your email right, you know, open right then and your, you know, web browser. And so you're uh, definitely in a, a much better location to kind of follow up on a contact that you've just made than you would be at a, a traditional event. So I think that's one way. The sort of reservation, um, as I understand that, that you brought up is, I guess, an inherent, or maybe it's sometimes it feels like self-promotion when you, uh, when you meet someone in, in that kind of uh, context. But um, you know, as an event designer, I don't think this is necessarily, there's not necessarily a technology solution to this problem, but just how the event is designed and, and how, um, you know, uh, the organizers communicate to the attendees about it, um, you know, that this is more of an expectation or that somehow that this is a normal thing to do, to reach out to people that you want to um, get in touch with. So one thing that Ted, for example, has done in the past is you you fill out, I forget how they come up with the list, but somehow they come up with a list of, you know, these are 10 people that, that we think you should talk to. 
right? And so if you happen to run across one of those 10 people at the event, you have this immediate entree to, to conversation. And I guess they also have um, items on the, uh, on the name tag, you know, topics that you might talk about uh, with someone. So uh, they're obvious uh, virtual analogs to, to these kinds of, um, you know, these kinds of techniques. But yeah, I think it's much more of a, a design problem in, in that case. And one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, in pre-pandemic times, uh, there was this big push. So there were a few different companies that tried to do this, you know, trying to quantify engagement at an event. So they would do things like, you know, tell you, give you metrics, how many uh, new connections were made at, a, at an event. Actually, Cl uh, Click, which is sort of a sister company to PixMob, um, did this at C2 where you had a special badge and uh, you could um, actually physically click your badge uh, with someone that you just met and it would uh, share the contact information. My point is that solving this problem in a purely face-to-face uh, -face conference is more challenging. It involves some impressive technology, but um, solving the analogous problem with virtual attendees is much easier. Um, it's very easy to tell, you know, who's spoken with whom, this sort of thing. And so with that, I think that designers uh, who are trying to come up with new events have a, a much richer set of, of, of information to figure out, okay, if we, if, should we make the, uh, the speed dating mandatory? Should we, you know, sort of the traditional A versus B techniques that, that people use when they're designing a website, you know, what, what gets people to click on this button? The most right so i think that uh just by making these kinds of networking portions more part of the mainstream of of the conference in a way that you're really you know it's uh, encouraged to reach out to people that you don't know um i think can go a long way there yeah that's i, th I think you're right i think there's an interesting one again you know i've seen it at ted i see it at parties which is you know you kind of see the person in in the corner by themselves and you you think Oh, let's go and talk to them. They look like they need someone to to make friends with them and drag them in a bit. That seems to be a little more difficult virtually because you can lurk more easily without other people really seeing that. And and so I think as as you say, as people develop those digital analogs to to what happens in the in person events, some way of trying to work out who are the wallflowers and who how best to 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 gently bring them in without making them feel intimidated. Through Avixa, we were uh, we were having a, a brainstorming session a while back about the future of events, and one of the things that came out is, and I feel like think somebody's probably uh, tried something like this in in Second Life, um, but you know if you were uh, at an event uh, as a virtual attendee there's a, a spatialized representation um, on screen of you at the event. And so if you're uh, conversationally in a corner, you might also uh, in this kind of uh, screen space be um, you know, visually in the corner as well. And so there can be a, a visual representation of that that we're used to. Or you know, another thing that we felt was missing uh, from virtual events as we know them today is is just the idea that you might catch a person you know you catch a person's eye as they walk by or 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 hear a, just a a phrase out of a conversation that you thought was interesting and say oh you know I, I want to be sure to go and talk to that person 
And so, um, uh, you know, for that, I feel like uh, the the video conferencing tools that we we use today are are great at what they do. You know, they're great at these you know small groups and one on one conversations. But for that kind of uh, networking um, uh, kind of context at a conference, whether it's uh, purely virtual or or hybrid, uh, we really need specialized tools for this um, that facilitate the you know that are they're designed around the kinds of uh, social cues and um, affordances that we're used to. I got involved with um, a guy called Eddie Obeng. I don't know if you've come across him. Um, he's uh, got a concept called the World After Midnight, and it's similar to what you're describing. It's it's a virtual event, and it, and this again was almost a decade ago. I don't know if he's still doing it. But you log on, and it was like a primitive second life. So you have an avatar, you can make your avatar, you can go into rooms, and and they had these weekly events. And and I think you're right. It felt very. I'm going to say it felt very eight bit in terms of kind of video games or music. It felt very clunky and not very realistic. Um, and maybe that was its charm. But but some way of bringing that spatial awareness in so you can see who's there and what they're doing and 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 gently bring them in yeah i mean i, I think there have been a, a variety of attempts at this so another one is um burning man this year you know had a virtual event and oh did they they did you know i was i was looking at the app with uh, a friend um you know who's showing it to me and and she said, "Look, you know, with this app, you can meet and talk to people uh, on the playa, and it's it's you know you're you're at a specific location." And so, I put the app on my phone, and and I said, "Okay, I'm going to be here," you know, and and looked at her phone, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm there too," you know, and and we don't see each other, you know. There's, um, there, I mean, it's I, that's arguably a more challenging example because uh, you're trying to meet in a in a large space, but. Um, you know, it's uh, with with these kinds of tools. It's sort of you know, first you need this this new framework um, to you know that that you're going to use for the interaction. But then then after that, there are a lot of technology and design issues that need to be figured out before it's a really a, a fluid experience. Mm-hmm. And then uh, moving on to your third kind of topic, which was. Um, bringing a tangible artifact into an event um, at, a, say, a product launch or something. That that seems really a, a great thing to do. And I think there's there's a ton of work can be done uh, to, to really bring that to life. We, we even had a friend of mine in Quebec City uh, had their... He owns a, a company and had his works dinner... Um, holiday party where a local restaurant puts out meal kits and and you know so he sent a meal kit around to everyone and and then they have videos around um how to cook it and so they're all cooking their their holiday meals and and we actually did that with a friend of ours for new year's eve and that idea of um kind of part cooking having a zoom meal together but not just having the same meal and cooking it at the same time was is an interesting way of of, um, of bringing the eating experience, the restaurant eating experience, into your home more than just you know kind of getting an Uber Eats right. thing. And 
And I love that idea of um, with a product launch, bringing the product or some kit into your your house and, and you know, you, your thoughts about making it automatically open at a certain time is, is like that that would be great any more thoughts about how that might be developed and what other areas that might get into well i mean i think it it uh, it's an idea that can be uh tailored to a variety of different types of events there's some building blocks there i think that there's a a question of is this an event that's going to happen just in one country or is it across um you know, multiple countries, because uh, for certain kinds of interactivity that you might have there, you need to establish an internet connection uh, to this box. And uh, solving that problem in one country is fairly straightforward, or maybe even a few, depending on which ones they are. Um, but solving that problem generally for the entire world at the same time starts to starts to get tricky. Um, mm -hmm. But you can do things like, uh, you know, having having something happen at a specific time. These kinds of things can even be done with a, a either a, just a, a, an accurate clock. Um, it doesn't even have to be too accurate. Maybe there's a companion app on the phone. You know, I mean, there are lots of interesting technology approaches to, to realize things like this. Unveiling a new product, enabling some sort of new, uh, you know, different um, element of communication. So, even something like you touch something in this box and you feel some, uh, you know, uh, someone else touching the same thing in a, a, you know, in another another space or controlling lighting, right? There could just be some some bright LED lights in this box and and uh, it opens up in such a way that it it creates a a little light show in your home that is uh, an extension of the light show that you see uh, happening on screen somewhere else. Things like this, there, uh, you know, there are a pretty broad range of uh, of, of things that can be done, or uh, giving you an object that you're first introduced to, uh, you know, at, during this event, but it's something that you you still want to use later. So, for example, the um, the uh, Super Bowl uh, example, while this was an in-person event, the the concept still holds, right? So this is a, you know. Um, during the halftime show, it's you're part of the show, but later it's still a hat, right? So, uh, you know, th these kinds of things where the interactive element lives on with you and, and reminds you of, uh, of um, you know, what happened during the event. And, uh, you know, this all of these are really just scratching the surface of, of what's possible there. It's, it's a, a, I think, a huge um, and almost, almost completely unexplored space. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and um, you know, in, in previous series of, of this, we've been talking about some of the key, for example, to to bringing people back into public spaces and things as being this move from, from just solutions into experiences and then the move that you talked about right in your introduction from even experiences to creating lasting memories and and um, maybe ways of of doing that so that it's it's as you mentioned if it's an artifact that you can use for a long time but reminds you of this amazing experience you had on that particular day that that would take it to another dimension that it, that is difficult to achieve nowadays even with events i mean the events happen 
they fade in your memory, but but having some sort of artifact might help keep them keep them alive for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I really feel like um, you know when you think about well, what is the appeal of events. Um, I mean, of course, one part of it is meeting people. There might be some information that you're going to the event to collect, but I think for a lot of events, the a big part of the appeal is just the the kind of this the sensation, you know, like w- what you see and what you experience there that um, you know is is just just doesn't compare to uh, a you know, a, a video chat. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, one thing that I've just been feeling a lot, you know, with, uh, invitations to various virtual events through the year is, um, well, do I really want to be on another zoom call today? You know? And a lot of times yeah. the answer to that question is no, you know, yeah. but if the question is, do I want to have this experience that, you know, this is probably the only time to have this exact experience to see this new thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably, you know, the, the answer to that question would usually be yes. And so Mm -hmm. it's just about how can we add that extra experience to, uh, to more and more events. Yeah. I think, I mean, uh, one way I've seen that happen is in, in concerts and virtual concerts. So, you know, when, when all of this started, people, musicians wanted to connect with their fans and they'd, they'd do these, these really kind of intimate in their own home, um, concerts, which were nice and were, were, um, they achieved that connection, uh, to, to some extent, but as time went on and, and it's happening now, and, and I'm talking to people now who are looking at doing it going forward, people started to think, okay, if I don't have to tour this, if I don't have to um, take it down and put it up again every night, what could I do? Mm. And you know, one example I thought, which was pretty powerful, was Billie Eilish's concert where she used kind of AR really beautifully done to achieve things that she would have had a really hard time doing in in a physical environment and she also had um that connection that you talked about where i think it was 500 of her kind of hardcore fans did it on an interactive basis and they appeared Mm. in some of the backdrops and there was the special events afterwards and that sort of thing and it really kind of took that idea of a concert and said okay rather than just recreating what you go and see in a in a concert hall why don't we look at this again and just think, what if it was a complete clean sheet? What what would you do? Um, and that was that was really, to me, a, the beginning of almost a new art form. Hmm. And um, I'm excited to see where that goes. I know there are a number of people um, kind of working on what I think will be some next generation concerts. What about exhibitions? You mentioned you were, you were chatting to Avixa, which is our industry's trade body about it. I've yet to go to a really compelling virtual exhibition. Have you been to any? And, and what, what makes a really compelling virtual exhibition? I, I haven't been to any that I would consider really compelling. You know, again, there I'm, I'm curious about uh, what we can do in a, a hybrid context. Um, so, 
uh, one idea that we we pitched to uh, to a prospective client, um, they wound up not going for it, but I think it's a, a really interesting idea nonetheless. Is um, you know these uh, these telepresence robots that let you you know drive around uh, an office and 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 you know talk to people. I, I'm curious about the the use of technology like this in a um, you know in a a, a, a trade show. Uh, an exhibition kind of context, uh, something to put, you know, virtual attendees and in-person attendees on a closer to one-to-one sort of footing. At an exhibition, there's there's a, a certain element of wandering around and looking at things, and then you know you 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 get to a point where you you really want to talk to some people. You have some specific questions that need to be answered. And so allowing, uh, allowing people to, to kind of transition between those modes, um, I, I think that uh, telepresence robots is, is one example, or, you know, you can imagine uh, an, an AR or VR type approach where analogous to Google Street View, where you can walk through a neighborhood uh, that, that uh, you know, that, that's been mapped out. Uh, mm-hmm. Something similar to this, yeah. I mean, I think I think the real challenge is is making a, if it's a, if it's a purely virtual exhibition, how do you make it feel special? You know, um, I mean, that's like with with any sort of purely virtual event, that's kind of the conceptually. You know, I think uh, the sort of conceptually the the problem, the, the the question that needs to be answered. You know, because it's sort of. Uh, then it, it kind of fades into just sort of being another video thing that you have to do on your computer rather than an experience. And so mm-hmm. if, you, if you give it a spatial component, if you feel comp- uh, connected to something that's happening at a specific point in time, um, just like a, 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 you know, a traditional exhibition, then I think you start to, to get some of that back. I mean, I think one of the challenges that's still there is if you want to actually hold and feel of a product and uh, and maybe stumble across uh, related products that you might not have known about before. Um, these are some of the challenges and and uh, you know the, the question of how do you how do you actually hold the product in your hand? I think that's the toughest one to solve. FedEx can help you a little bit there where you can sort of say that you want to see a demo and, and uh, get sent to you later or something like that, but it's, it's, it's not, uh, still not quite the same thing. I think, uh, you know, there, there's some aspects of in-person uh, experience that right now are just really impossible to, to reproduce virtually. Yeah, though, something you said there kind of made me think of some improvements to the, the physical exhibition experience because... If I'm looking at something, if I look at something in a booth and I'm in, I'm interested in a certain type of thing, what I have to do now is go to the trade show catalog and go down all the exhibitors and find out who's got those things. What isn't really done is the, the kind of Amazon, Netflix, whatever. If you like this, then you might like this and this and this. Right. So a more curated um, path through an exhibition trade show might be an interesting way that, that a, a virtual thing could actually be better than the real thing in the sense that you've got this virtual curator saying, well, let me take you over here now and over here now, because we think that'll be interesting. Totally. And uh, one thing I'm curious to see is um, if 
you know, as, as virtual events, as the technology behind virtual events um, continues to develop and, and uh, starts to mature, I wonder if we'll start to see, um, you know, some of the advantages of this approach starting to feed back to in-person events. Um, mm -hmm. So you could imagine, uh, you know, the exact uh, example that you just gave where, um, you know, these days the, the technology is coming out with uh, Bluetooth to do, um, you know, pretty straightforward uh, position tracking in, a, in a, a space like that. And, and so the, the uh, exhibition app could, you know, vibrate in your pocket as you walk by uh, a booth um, mm -hmm. and say, well, we, we noticed that you spent a lot of time um, at, at this particular booth and uh, this other one is related. So, so maybe you want to check it out sort of thing. Yeah. Well, we should probably wrap this up, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity um, to talk about any last thoughts you might have <clears throat> about this whole idea of how we might take events forward and make them even better after all this. Sure. So I, I guess one last thought is um, that we need to, you know, we need to remember how social media factors into all of this, because for, for certain kinds of events, it's not just about the experience of people that go to the event. It's about giving those people an opportunity to create their own content that then gets shared with a much broader audience. And so, um, you know, as we start to think about uh, either purely virtual events or uh, hybrid events, you know, at least especially for you know certain kinds of events, we just really need to be sure that the events that we're, uh, in addition to being compelling experiences to to um, you know to to have firsthand, that you're also not losing track of the need to create rich, visual, compelling content uh, for people to to capture and share later. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, I, I feel like this is a uh, just really an area that's. Um, you know, it's it's an while it's been uh, challenging for um, you know many different kinds of businesses, it's also an interesting kind of um, uh, disruption that I think will will lead to some really compelling changes over the next few years in terms of you know how how events overall run, both both virtual and physical, and hybrid events. Great, thank you. And finally, it's obvious that the work you do, James, the work Patent Studios does can be a key to help to to the, this future of events so if someone wants to reach out to you and find out more about what you do and maybe talk to you about some projects how's the best way to contact you um so our website is www.pattenstudio.com so p-a-t-t-e-n-s-t-u-d-i-o no s on the end.com um, and uh, you can uh, find an email address on there, info at Patent Studio, um, and we would uh, love to talk to you. Um, you know, our focus is on uh, new solutions to, to problems like these. So, um, you know, we, we uh, love taking on problems that are a hybrid of design and technology challenges. Thanks so much for your time, James, and thank you everyone for listening. This has been another episode of Surroundscapes. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. This third series is about the future of events. There have been two previous series. series. <laughs> the second one was on the future of the workplace, and the first one was on the future of retail and hospitality. They're all available at your chosen podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, 
or on our website, uh, www.bluesoundprofessional.com. Please uh, leave comments, rate the episodes, tell us what you think, tell us what you'd like to see in the future. Uh, But above all, thank you so much for your time and see you in the next episode.